The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. How can we stand better together? Hey, listeners, welcome to In the Arena. I'm Jackie Goldberg. And I'm Leah Smart. And today we're going to bring you into part two of racism in America and earning allyship. So in our last episode, we really had a raw conversation about race. We had actually never had a conversation about race before. We did not plan for it. We just did it. And so reflecting back, we had some thoughts that we want to first share about that episode and where we are today. But then we're also going to talk about how we move forward. And we're really excited to discuss and share with you all what we've done, what we plan to do, and how you can get involved too. Thanks, Leah, for that introduction you know, I'm I'm proud of us for having that conversation in the moment in time that we did. We did what we felt right and we were vulnerable and open with one another. And yet, I re-listened to the episode just the other night, 3 weeks after we recorded it, and I feel like I've come such a far away in just 3 weeks in terms of my own allyship journey. And You know, I was honest in that episode and, you know, tears came out and we shared and I'm happy about that. But at the same time, I'm really able to see where my whiteness came out and there's acceptance in where I was at at that point in time. And I think what I want our listeners to take away from this is that it's okay, right? We're, you know, I did the best I could in that episode and I'm accepting that and I'm on a journey as a white ally, and it's on me to progress and and create the change for myself so that I can create change in this world. So I want to just spend a few moments kind of pointing out where I feel like I could have done better and all in the efforts to be a model for white allyship and to educate others who may be starting on their journey just like I am. One of the first things that I noticed was that I really felt like I was asking you, Leah, about what I should do. I was really looking to you to seek to understand what I can do as a white ally. I didn't know any better. And unfortunately, this is a dynamic, I think, that often takes place between a white person and a black person who are having a conversation about racism and looking to the black community on what we can do. But this is not your problem to fix. This is a problem an issue that we created as, as, as white people hundreds of years ago, and it has been embedded in our systems in this country, in America, since then. And unfortunately, it plays out in so many ways. And so I really saw that as an opportunity for me to recognize that I have so much learning to do on my own. And you know, while I can speak to you and lean on you in certain ways, it's not, it's not all of it. It's not, it's not the way that it should be done. You know, Jackie, that's such a great call out. Um, And I so appreciate the fact that you're sharing it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for me, too. Like, I, I think we both had that experience. What was valuable was being able to share my story with you. And that's where, you know, I left the conversation actually feeling like I was starting to process 
more and more of my own emotions. And at the same time, your call out is really important. And, you know, I, I will speak for myself and for what I observe sometimes, which is, you know, many, many people who look for help with diversity or help on their journeys reach out to us, to people who look like me. I, I can't tell you how many text messages I've gotten from people asking how to be better. And the intention is amazing, right? It's how do I do this better? I don't know how. The impact, though, is what makes it difficult for you know me at times, and I'm sure for others, to really engage in a conversation. And the impact is that it feels like we already really walk with that burden of racism, and then we're asked how to get rid of it. And sometimes I honestly just want to say back to people like, why don't you ask the people in your family, the people in your environments, they're the ones who've created a lot of this. That's my like annoyed response, right? But my compassionate response is, I understand that people don't know. And so I'm willing to be there in the moments that people need a resource, not to educate, but to point them in the directions they can go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, you make such a good point, Leah. And I think that's the difference in terms of boundaries, like we, we need all voices in the room. And it's different when I'm asking you about your experience and you're sharing with me your lived experience, what your life has been like and how racism has played a part in that. It's different than me seeking, what can I do, right? It, that, that's a different conversation. And so there's, there's importance of having all of us wholeheartedly in the conversation, but also recognizing the boundary of what me as a white person needs to educate myself on versus going to you. You know, one other thing that, that came up for me that I thought was really interesting, and this only really came to light after reading the book White Fragility, which I'll share more about in our uh, later in the episode. But there was one moment in the episode where I said, we are all unique. We all have our own stories which is true. I'm not denying that. However, what I've learned is that as a white person, looking at individualism actually doesn't allow me to see the systemic racism in our country. It actually takes me out of the equation. And so that little insight allowed me to recognize the part that I play in being white and, 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 that's it, right? So by saying I'm unique and that I have my own story, it allows me to keep an arm's length from the true racism that is going on and the part that I play there. I also got emotional, you know, at points during the episode, which was true emotion. But as a white person, it's really important for me to recognize why I'm getting emotional, what came up, because the last thing I need to do as a white woman is take the spotlight when we're in a conversation around racism. That is not my job. And so, whereas you and I, Leah, are friends and we're able to be emotional and talk about this, I really recognize that in these difficult conversations, really keeping my emotions in check and making sure that I'm not, you know, guiding the conversation to where you're consoling me or I'm getting something other than what I came for, which is really, having a, a raw conversation. So these are just a few pointers that I've learned and I, I really felt important to share today so that I can model for others on how to move forward on this path as a white person. I, I recognize that it's uncomfortable, but that cannot stop me. And so I'm glad we had that conversation and I'm glad that we're having this today to kind of move forward and share 
where we're at three weeks later. Yeah, I am too. And it's funny, we talk a lot on this podcast about being unique and having our own stories. And the truth is we do, but we also can't miss the systems that we operate in. And so that's such a great point, Jackie, that, you know, oftentimes, you know, white people in this country get to say, well, I'm unique, I'm just human. But then you see one image of someone black doing something that helps you confirm what you already thought, and you think it speaks for the entire race. So I think it's really important to call that out, even for me. I am not speaking for the entire race as I shared the last time because we are all we are all unique and we need to look at our systems. I love the point about, you know, keeping emotions in check. I, you know, we we both were on this journey of reading white for white fragility and what I took for sure from our conversation was that it was it was a breaking open. I didn't feel that you were trying to take attention from the situation, but I do think it's important like you point out, as a a white ally or someone who's white that's wanting to continue to earn their allyship, not to shift the attention back to them. Yeah. So yeah, so we're excited to to walk with you all down this path. We broke this episode down into three parts that we discussed. That's a really nice framework that you can think about as three parts to it. It's learn, explore, and commit. And so, you know, we are currently in the midst of some really big change in this world. And as Jackie mentioned earlier, and what I've seen too for myself is like quantum leap leap changes, fast changes that are going to hopefully maintain momentum and actually change some of our systems, change the way we think about life and the world. So Jackie, do you want to kick us off with some of the, some of the pieces from White Fragility? Yeah. So The learn part of this three-part learn, explore, commit is really about learning the history and doing your education around the systems that we have in place in this country that has not allowed for equality or equity or justice for the Black community. And one of the first things that Leah and I both did was read the book White Fragility by Robin DeAngelo. She wrote this in 2018, so it's super relevant, right? And super up to date and current. And it really allows white people specifically to explore and understand racism, how it is embedded in everything that we do, really a way for you to look at things like implicit bias, what we mean by colorblindness, what we mean by the good and bad, the binary system around racism, and then looking at your role in it, right? And understanding that white is a race. So there are some things that I really learned from White Virgilia that I'd love to share today. It was eye-opening for me. And I will say to our listeners, it was a, a wonderful first step in my journey to getting an overarching understanding of racism in America and how it's affected me as a white person. And I also want to be clear that It is not only for white people. It talks about the fragility of white people and what we face when we have some of these conversations and why we shy away from these conversations for for a lot of reasons. And it goes into detail on that. But it's really for anyone to read the book. Yeah, I mean, and and that's something actually important that you call out, Jackie, is is that it is for anyone. You know, these conversations often come back to the the black white, you know, kind of binary conversation or, or the polar polarizing of the black and white experience. But we are living in a country with people of all sorts of descent, and. What I learned from this book, you know, was really coming back to, you know, the anti-Black sentiment that we have in this country and that everyone is playing a role. 
So even if you're not falling into one of these two racial categories, being able to look at how you play a role in anti-Blackness in your attempt to move closer to white supremacy culture. And I, I will say, I definitely felt weird saying white supremacy. I think I've said it more in the last three weeks than I've ever said it in my life because we so associate it with this binary thing that Jackie mentioned, like either you're totally crazy out there using all sorts of terrible, overt, racist words and phrases and having those interactions, or you're not, right? And that's not true. So really it's taking a step back and saying, how has this society been built around white supremacy and what role am I playing in trying to get closer to that space no matter my race? We all do it. And even as a white person, I look at white supremacy prior to these past three weeks and doing my own due diligence around this and thinking of people who are not me, thinking of the Ku Klux Klan, right? Like a very narrow understanding of what white supremacy is. And that is a lie. This, this world really is a, built around white supremacy. And one of the biggest takeaways is that white is a race. But as a white person, I never needed to acknowledge that right? I don't carry the weight of race around me. I don't have to worry about it. And this is where my silence comes in, right? Because my silence really protects the racial hierarchy that exists. And what it is, is that as a white person, I need to stop looking at myself as unique or outside of race. And I have to acknowledge that I have racist patterns. One of the things that Robin D'Angelo talks about is the definition of racism and how it's actually wrong. And what I'm really excited about is that three days ago, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary came out with the fact that they are going to change the definition of racism in the dictionary. And what the definition is today, I don't have it up right now, but it really does look at like that binary position where it's around prejudices and looking at someone of color and being racist against them. But it does not acknowledge the systems that we have put in place in this country that have been created and ruled by white people. And so we don't have the voices in the room. We don't have the people at the top, you know, who are of other races to weigh in. And so we have created a country and systems in place that have built this racism. And so changing the definition allows us to recognize that I have racist patterns and so does everybody because of the way that we've been conditioned to believe over time. Jackie, you mentioned with the new definition that, you know, we're adding the systemization of racism. And I know you've been on this like reading, listening journey beyond white fragility. Can you talk a little bit about some of the systems that you learned about? Yeah, for sure. And it's it's incredibly important. And I will say I am by no means an expert, that, but here's what I can share from my learning over the past few weeks. I watched the documentary 13th, which I highly recommend. It was created in 2016. So again, super current. And this really looked at injustices against Black people, but particularly in our criminal systems. So how over the past you know few decades, I'd say within the 1900s, our criminal system has been set up to put more black people in prison than white people. And this has, have, has had an effect on so many other aspects in terms of resources that they have, in terms of families being split apart. I mean, you name it. And so I highly recommend that documentary to learn specifically about the, the, the criminal system. 
The other documentary that I watched was Owned, and this was about housing segregation. So the role that the FHA, the Federal Housing Association, played in the 1930s and 1940s that set up our country in a way that it was easier for whites to get mortgage loans for their homes than blacks. It talks about redlining in certain areas. So having a basically like a score of one to four of where people should want to live based on how many black people live in that community or not. And this over time has had an immense impact on our neighborhoods today. And again, limiting the resources and the opportunities for black people. So those are just two systems that if you can imagine, I mean, really play a role in in the way that we all live our lives and has had downstream effects in in many negative ways. Right. Awesome. And and those things get perpetuated too, right? So if you think about, you know, I, I also watched 13, think about the way that black people, particularly men, are displayed in the news. There is still absolutely a narrative that we are criminals, that we are, you know, people that are consistently doing wrong. And so the media plays a really important role in this. You know, just because we're in the middle of sheltering in place and COVID, I've become more and more hyper aware of how much the media plays in into my own psyche, into my own world experience. And so I can apply that to COVID. I ask, especially for listeners, like try applying that to how you see people of color and how you've seen us uh, you've seen black people, you know, and you're and you're growing up. What images did you see? One of the really valuable things, you know, we talked a lot about George George Floyd, and we, we you know, our, our I think emotion was focused on that in the last episode. Something that was really powerful that I think was incredibly important that helped us shift this conversation was actually the Amy Cooper Christian Cooper incident, because we got to see number one, how this plays out in insidious ways, right? This woman didn't even have to call the police and say, I'm a white woman. She got to call the police and say, there's a black man. She knew how to alert them to her danger and that they'd come to her rescue, right? And then what I loved seeing, which was really important that we don't see enough of in black culture from black culture and how it's it's shared with, with you know people who are white in this country, is that we aren't all the same, right? You know, Robin D'Angelo talks about using different ways of speaking for black people or, you know, using language that people think that we use. So to me, it was incredibly important to see Christian Cooper on CNN, a man who's highly educated, more educated than most of us listening to this, doing something completely benign, bird watching, and bringing him on to show we look all sorts of ways, we act all sorts of ways, and every single one of those ways deserves equal respect and also understanding of where we've been and what it's mean for us to get where we are. So that was an incredibly important thing was the the Amy Cooper incident. And the other thing, and I'll, I'm curious, Jackie, what your thoughts are, but you know, I was speaking with someone else about this, that this woke people up who thought I'm not a racist. And I say people, white people up thought I'm not a racist because they got to see themselves in Amy Cooper, this 25 year old girl walking her dog in Central Park, using and wielding her power in a racist way. Yeah. I mean, it was a clear example of white privilege and just perpetuating what we see, right? Like this perpetuating what happens all over, but this happened to be videotaped so that we have it on camera so that we can use. I mean, you mentioned 
you know, the media. So, so Robin, you know, this is a quote from the book, racism is an institutional system in which we are all socialized. So everything we consume from the messages we see, the images we see, but even the emotions that we feel, the beliefs and the perceptions we have, all of that is embedded into our socialization. And so the Amy Cooper video was just another thing that showed white privilege happening, but thank goodness it was videotaped and thank goodness Christian has that. And I think that's what, you know, part of the reason why this is so prevalent right now is because of our technology and the fact that people are videotaping these things. So now they are going viral and, you know, a white person can watch a video and feel a visceral reaction to it. Whereas in the past it was, you know, okay to hear it and see it maybe on the news as, as being a news report, but not actually watching the video and having the body sensation that makes you feel like this is the most awful thing I've seen. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that has totally changed the game and hopefully it will continue to. I mentioned this earlier, but I do want to just harken back really quickly to a woman that uh, that I discovered in the last few weeks. Her name is Michelle Kim. She's a CEO of a company called Awaken, and she focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And Michelle has really been focused in the last few weeks on, you know, she's writing articles on Medium, but focus on the last few weeks around 30 ways that Asians perpetuate anti-Blackness. Really great article. 20 plus allyship actions for Asians. I've also seen beautiful posts of, you know, people all over the world coming together for Black Lives Matter that I have to be honest, I never thought I would see. There is also this relationship that inside of, you know, the the non-white population that we all have with each other because of this perpetuated white supremacy. And it's typically one of, you know, not liking each other, right? Because we're all trying to climb the ladder. And so it it's like each person that you see that's not like you, that's trying to get into the white supremacy space becomes a threat. And so one of the things that's happened is over time, you know, there's become this sort of caste system, right? From whiteness all the way down to blackness and how likely you are to assimilate into white culture. And so I say this because A, I'm super proud to see Michelle doing this work because I myself have experienced situations with, you know, people from Asian descent treating me differently and knowing that it's because, because of this insidiousness, but B, because she's giving actions that people can actually take and helping us all recognize, again, we all play a journey. If you also watch Patriot Act, Hassan Minaj spoke on an episode recently also around Asian prejudice and anti-Blackness in order to assimilate. And so I'm just proud to see more and more people of all races standing up because again, this is not just a white Black problem. It started there, but it won't end there. So true. It is embedded in our entire world. And, you know, we we talked about this, like there's almost the totem pole, right? You said like from whiteness to blackness. And it's, we look at each other, Leah, and we're like, this is made up. Like who made this up? We are all human. We are the same. And thank goodness for people like Michelle Kim coming out and providing these insights, providing these resources. And it's it, there, there is beauty in seeing people around the world coming together and, and fighting for Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. I want to move into our second part, which is explore. So I want to be clear that the learn will never stop, right? This is all a journey. We are never 100% knowing everything, even Robin D'Angelo, who writes Fright for Julie, says she is still making mistakes, saying the wrong things, and that is part of it. So the learning does not stop, but we'll move into the explore piece. So this is really exploring within yourself, looking at your own self, your own journey, and being able to apply some of 
what you've learned to how you will be doing your own progress in moving forward. So I want to share two examples of what I've taken over the past few weeks and how I've implemented them to help inspire others to do the work, but also just show like the clarity that I'm receiving by, by doing this. So the LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. One of the things that I read this this week was a post by our global head of diversity, inclusion, and belonging at LinkedIn, Rosanna Deruthi. And she poses the question, I'm going to read it verbatim, and I'm going to share with you what came up from me. So the question that Rosanna poses is, What would happen if white people honestly reflected and shared a time when you and your privilege caused you to think, say, or do something racist or biased? Whether it is a microaggression or intended act, your honesty could validate the stories of black people and show you acknowledge your past, but are moving forward in truth. This is a powerful question and one that I took time to think about, but also it didn't take me a long time to recognize what came up for me. So I want to share this. And I will say that I shared this with Leah in private last week. And I never, ever thought that I would share this publicly on our podcast or, or publicly or with anyone else for that matter. But I recognized when I looked at this question that there was a time and probably not too long ago, I'd say maybe two years ago, where I recognize that when I was walking down the hallways at work, I was less likely to say hi to a black person that I didn't know than to a white person that I didn't know. And looking back, I recognize that there was something that came up for me in my body, an emotion, fear potentially. And this is all baked in from, again, the the biases that I've grown up with and that exists. And That is true. That was a truth for me. And that is really hard to admit. But in doing so, I am saying that I, A, I want to like really model and show that what can come up for you when you answer this question, when you look within yourself and what you can admit to yourself and not allowing the shame to take over, but say, you know what, this was something that I did and I will never do that again. And I am moving forward. Yeah, that's huge, Jackie. I just, I want to acknowledge that because 
obviously as a black person, that's hard for me to hear. Right. And, you know, this is where the work comes in on both sides, right? Like you and I are both coaches. We've both been doing a lot of work on ourselves and, you know, over the last, you know, number of years and it's an, it's a continual journey. But I think uh, in the last year or so, I've been equipped with enough to understand and to really tap into my own compassion. And I'm, I'm constantly, I am an, an incredibly empathetic person anyway, but this is calling my empathy to the table. You know, it's calling my compassion to the table. And for anyone listening who, you know, hears that and is sad or is disappointed, like call your empathy and compassion to the table. It changes a lot to think about the fact that if I were born white, I would be conditioned with this same thing very likely. The likelihood is high that I'd have the same conditioning. The question is, how do we unlearn? How do we untrain? And what you've just done, Jackie, is one, modeled how brave it is to actually say that in public, but also modeled your whiteness. Like it's so important to say, this is who I am because we are all different races. And at the same time, yes, Jackie, we are all one. And that's been one of my biggest explorations. But when we talk about it openly, we can then do something about it. Yeah. And it is those moments like that that need to be spoken about. And it hurts. Like it hurts me that I would look at someone differently. It hurts. And what makes me want to move forward is also having a compassionate friend like you who can look at that and say, yeah, that hurts. And I am going to be empathetic and compassionate to your experience. The other one that I want to share is that in the past, when police brutality incidents have happened, you know, protests around Black Lives Matter have taken place, I never had said something to the, the Black people in my life, right? I, I always felt uncomfortable to, to go up to them and, and check in on them and say, how are you doing? And one of the things that I've explored over the past few weeks is like, why was it uncomfortable for me to go to some of these people in my life and have a conversation about it? And I realized that it's because if I spoke about race, that would mean that I was acknowledging blackness, which would mean that I was recognizing that there's racism, but I'm not a racist. And what I've learned is that that's all a lie. Racism does exist, and I play a role in that. And by staying silent, I'm actually further perpetuating the role of racism rather than doing the opposite. That was eye-opening for me. And so over the past two weeks, when I've seen people in my community, and you know, my, my therapist, for example, is Black, and we met last night for the first time in a few weeks, and my first question was, how are you? This has been such a hard time. How are you doing? It's been a heavy time for all of us, and I, I want to have a conversation about it. And you know, it's in the past, I wouldn't have said anything. And so these are little small steps that I'm doing to explore where I've been in the past that will help me move forward. And again, this is just, just the beginning. Yeah. And it's something you said that I've, I've seen before and I've felt in primarily white environments is that also acknowledging blackness is a derogatory thing. Yeah. It's not derogatory to talk about someone being black just like it's not derogatory to talk about someone being white or someone being Latinx, you know, or someone being Asian, those things shouldn't be derogatory. Even that is an insidious way that we perpetuate this, right? It's our own fears around how we might offend someone by saying they're black. Like, no, it's more offensive if you don't acknowledge it, right? And this is what it means to step into this space of what's being called now, you know, anti-racism. Yeah. 
Exactly. Great. So I, I will share, you know, one of my learnings too, because I, I mentioned earlier, you know, this has felt like a forced quantum leap in my own transformation and progress. Mine is, of course, a little bit different, right, than Jackie's, uh, but it comes back to white supremacy culture, which is the issues I've had with my own race. So I shared in the last episode that I was on, on the phone with my therapist that week talking about intra-racial discrimination. And I want I want to first say that, you know, often Oftentimes when this conversation gets brought up, white people will use that as an out or other people who are not of color, not people of color, or even people of color will use that as an out to say, see, they're not nice to each other. What I want to take back and I want to take this back a little bit is that a lot of what's perpetuated in cultures outside of whiteness is self-hatred based on what white supremacy has done to us. We haven't been celebrated, so sometimes it's a much it's a much bigger leap for us to celebrate ourselves. So the challenges that I've had are, you know, a little bit different in that I grew up in Oakland, which is a pretty diverse place. We have a strong Asian population, we have a strong Black population, we have a strong white population. Socioeconomically, it's a little bit different, right? So you know, I always think about New York City when you turn off the lights. Where is everybody really? The reality is most of us live in segregated environments, right? And so Oakland is a little bit different, but we still play out many of the themes you see in the more distinct places like a Chicago or a New York. What I noticed for myself is, you know, when I was young, when I was in sixth grade, I remember going to middle school and I remember the experience of having people that looked like me tease me for the way I talked. I spoke too white or I didn't do my hair the right way or I liked the wrong music or why was I so weird? Or, you know, I didn't, I didn't live in the same places that they, they lived. And so what I found was in my own pain of experiencing that bullying that I ran the other way. But over there with other white people who became my close friends and some who had already been, I was never white enough for them either. So I fell into this really strange place of not feeling black enough for black people or white enough for white people and not knowing really where I belonged. So I clung to a, you know, a pretty small group of very close friends, one of whom is black, who's had a very similar experience and others of all races that I felt like I could kind of fit in with. But I still felt that pull of what I now have the lexicon to say is white supremacy, right? And so I, in no way, meant to do this, but I, over my, my last, last number of years, since sixth grade, have been faulting people that looked like me for the pain I experienced at that point in my life. And so that was a fast progress, leaps and bounds transformation for me and going, holy SHIT, I'm perpetuating this too, because I'm not being kind to certain people because of assumptions that I'm making, and it's all based in really deep-rooted pain. And the reason this pain is really important, and I, I want to share this because For those of you who maybe haven't experienced going through therapy or aren't familiar with the brain and how we work and how we're wired, our subconscious essentially takes in information through our whole lives, through through the majority, sorry, of our early lives and tells us what life is about, tells us what to expect from the world. So things that have happened to us before generally the age of 14 are so baked deep into our subconscious that we have to purposefully look at them and extract them. This was something so big deep into me because it was pain. It was in some ways a little bit of trauma from the bullying. And I didn't have to look at it though. I pretended it wasn't there. So this pulled it right out of me and took me straight into a place of saying, all right, I'm done. One of the other things that happened was last week, often I'm a, I'm a big runner. And so I was on a run and I just put down white fragility. I was reading it. 
And I just had this huge aha moment of how all of this is made up. I looked at the role that white supremacy has played in my life, not with shame, but with trying to process it and thinking about how I can take fast action and even having some gratitude because I am where I am in some ways because of it, which is kind of messed up, but true. But it's really just looking at it and going, this is all made up. I mean, since the beginning of time, human beings have found ways to basically say, create caste systems, right? I'm better, you're worse. This is no different. It's just that now we can start to wake up because we have more information. We have we have more consciousness as a collective and we can actually say, all right, great. Now that we know that race has nothing to do with anything except where your racial background developed in this world, what can we do to peel back all the BS that we've created around it to create our own caste system? Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, for for sharing your lived experience. It is so, this is what's important to have these conversations to understand how racism has played a role in your life on both sides, from the black side, from the white side, and as you as an individual and how it showed up for you and the impact that it's had on you. Thank you, Leah, for sharing that. And I, I was just sitting here and just wanted to eat up every word that you were saying and really take it in. So thank you. And thank you for modeling uh, what that looks like so beautifully and, and sharing those words. You're right. Like we have a lexicon to talk about this and it is white supremacy and it is the racial hierarchy that we've built in this country, in this world, and we need it to stop. So I do want to move forward um, a little bit into the a, the commit piece, right? Like this is the last piece for us um, around this three-part learn, explore, commit. And commit is what actions uh, we will take to create real change. Again, this is a journey and what I'm committing to and what I'll share right now is just, you know, in the shorter term, like like lo some long-term commitments, but kind of something that I'll be doing in the shorter term. And then this conversation is not over. This was one that we will continue to have. Uh, so one of the things that I would like to share is a book by Leila Saad. It's called Me and White Supremacy. And what it is, is it's a 28-day journey and it allows you to actually do exercises through over the course of 28 days to help unpack bias, unravel white privilege. You learn a lot about anti-blackness, about racial stereotypes. And all of this is the goal to look within yourself so that you can help improve race relations moving forward. So really embedding this into who you are to really tr transformationally change um, and create social change in this world. Jackie? Yeah. Why might this be hard for white people to do? You mentioned shadows before. You're looking at your shadows. You're going in deep. You're acknowledging racism that exists within you. You're admitting to yourself that you've been racist and that there are things that you've done that have affected people in this world. And that's hard. It's hard to admit. There's guilt that will come up. There's sadness. And it is hard. And and you know, just like we talk about transformation work and, and looking within and, and looking at your shadows, not everyone does it because it doesn't feel good. And yet on the other side is freedom and liberation for yourself and for those around you. And so it is a hard you know, thing to do, but that cannot stop us, right? I mean, okay, discomfort, hardness, it, ca it cannot get in the way. This is too important to not acknowledge. So I'm joining a book club where we are reading this book and doing the exercises together and meeting once a week. I'm really excited about it. And I'm excited to see how I, you know, change in this journey. And then as far as my other commitments, you know, something that I did over the past three weeks was I sent an email to my family and friends uh, sharing with them where I've been on my journey and how I've woken up 
And I shared some resources as well for them to start their white allyship journey. And when I say my family and friends, they're all white. And I will say that right out, you know, they are all white. So this is my network and I'm committed to educating people, the white people in my life about racism and then taking responsibility to interrupt racism. Robin D'Angelo talks a lot about this in her book around interrupting racism. That includes things like identifying moments of racism and speaking up about them, educating others and having more black people in my life, right? Cultivating relationships with black people and people of color, right? Looking at my network and being like, wow, this is awful. And I want that to change. So those are some of my commitments. And I'm curious, Leah, where you stand on this piece as well. Yeah, thank you for for sharing that. You know, something you said before I talk about mine that's really important is this is why representation matters. Yes. So I've seen what happens when people that look like me are in these spaces or helping to, you know, push along and guide some of these conversations. But I've also seen with you the value of having a real relationship with someone. Because the thing is, we can't love if we don't know right? And so you haven't known people that look like me. And so how could you with, along with all of the perpetuated stereotypes and lies, how could you love, right? You are a loving human. We all are. But if you don't know, you won't love. And so representation in your community, your personal community matters. If you don't have that, that's okay. Look for, and and I mean, I'm, I say this because it needs to be authentic. Please don't go out if you are hoping to be a white ally, earning allyship and find black people that you all of a sudden want to be friends with. Find people that maybe you didn't have in your social media feed, or maybe you haven't been in meetings with that could potentially be connected to something you care about. And be real about seeking out people who don't look like you so you have other perspectives, right? So from a corporate perspective, there is an opportunity because there tend to be more, you know, more opportunities to easily connect with people of color that don't look like you in a way that makes it pretty seamless, right? So we're all working towards the same goal. We may be on the same team. We may be in the same org. There are all sorts of ways to think about this. Just be conscious of it and be conscious of your authenticity around it. So thank you so much for sharing that because, you know, representation at every level all over the place matters. If I hadn't been here as your friend, Jackie, this would have been a totally different journey for you. So the, like you and I are a model of why this matters so much and we need each other and we really, we all do need each other. So my commitment is really around continuing to first unpack my own things, my own stuff, my own biases, whatever I'm bringing forward from my childhood from, you know, continued self-acceptance, which I've come a very long way with that. But, you know, looking at things a little bit differently, like things that I saw in my conditioning as a child around body image, around hair, around all of these things and re-asking what they've meant, what role they've played and how I can be different tomorrow. So that's one. Two is just being more vocal and honest. So acknowledging race when it's important to Oftentimes in corporate spaces, it feels weird to acknowledge race. I even saw somebody post on LinkedIn not too long ago, you know, in response to so many saying, why are we talking about race? It's not professional. (laughs) Shaking my head over here. So remembering like, it's okay. It's not only okay, it's a lie to not talk about it. It is using your white privilege to ignore it because we think about it every single day. So I will acknowledge it when it's important to I am not someone who's going to be 
you know, I, I've never thought of myself, it's so funny, as someone who's like a social justice advocate. I have a best friend who works in social justice and she's black. And that has not been my quote unquote work. But even that has been because of my own fear, I think, around the white supremacy culture and how I show up and how I'm received, whether, you know, positive or negative, when I start being more vocal about this. I will be vocal when it's important to. And then the next thing is just calling out and celebrating myself and others. So this journey is a brave one. It takes courage to do this. I will celebrate myself as I do it and continue on this journey. And I will celebrate others as they do it. My goal is to be a compassionate friend and colleague and community member to anyone in my community. And acknowledgement, as you and I know, Jackie, is incredibly important on the journey. So I want to acknowledge, you know, I want to acknowledge us for doing this podcast. I want to acknowledge us for having this conversation. I want to acknowledge you for going on a journey that you could easily turn your back on. And I want to acknowledge myself for looking at the journey that I need to be on too, to help us all get to a place that is more peaceful, more loving, more joyful. And I want to acknowledge all of us as a global community for doing the work to bring ourselves back to what is truly our essence, which is one humanity one type of person, one heart, and really being able to create that for a generation to come. That was beautifully said, Leah, and I wholeheartedly agree with all of your acknowledgements there. And thank you for being such a good friend and colleague. And I'm proud of us for doing this work. Thank you listeners for tuning in today. We hope that you found this valuable listening to our conversation. This is not the end. We will continue talking about this, not just today, but moving forward forever. It is so important. And Leah and I will continue to be here with you on this journey. If you all want more of In the Arena, you can find us on LinkedIn. We have a newsletter under LinkedIn In the Arena. You can also find more episodes of our podcast on Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We are so excited again to be on this journey with you and until next time.